0: This is Partners in Practice, a weekly series dedicated to the evolving field of the advanced practice clinician. Here is your host nurse practitioner, Mimi Secor.
1: The Affordable Health Care for America Act was signed into law seven months ago, creating expanded health care coverage and services for millions of Americans. Yet, the United States continues to suffer from a significant shortage of primary care providers while at the same time the rates of chronic disease are dramatically rising, resulting in increasing demand for health care services. This perfect storm, so to speak, has been a call to action for nurse practitioners and PAs to increase their efforts to help meet the ever-expanding health care needs of our nation. This new health care reform legislation addresses many problems in our current health care system including issues of access, spiraling costs, and quality of care. The concept of the medical home offers a new approach to addressing many of these challenges. So why all the buzz about this, and how will it play out in your practice? You're listening to ReachMD, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome, I'm Nurse Practitioner Mimi Secor, your host, and with me today is Dr. Eileen O'Grady, Nurse Practitioner, visiting professor at Pace University, where she teaches health policy at a doctoral level. And we're discussing what advanced practice clinicians need to know about the new medical home concept of care and other aspects of the recently passed Affordable Care Act. Hi, Eileen. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. So as a nurse practitioner and health policy expert that closely tracks federal health policy, what can you tell us about the medical home concept of care?
0: Well, the medical home is not really a place or a building, but rather it's an approach to health care. It's a shift from this episodic care to the holistic care of patients. It's a station in which primary care providers serve as care coordinators. So NCQA-recognized medical homes would be eligible to receive higher payments for providing expanded services. So a medical home is a vision of primary care as it should be with patients and families getting the care they want in the form they want it in a 24-7 context. It's really a framework for organizing systems of care which has been validated and tested. It includes accessible, continuous, comprehensive, family-centered, coordinated, compassionate, and culturally effective care. So it's really a way to address many of the problems that we're having in our healthcare industry at the time. For example, the wildly escalating costs on health care, the total and out-of-pocket costs that are just spiraling up every year. It's a way also to acknowledge that we're not performing well in terms of what we're paying for and what we're getting. The U.S. is at or near the bottom of 10 categories of diseases compared with six other developed nations. Hmm. So what we really have is an inverse relationship between cost and quality, and we know that specialist-heavy states tend to have higher costs and lower quality of care. And we know that 23% of Medicare patients have five or more chronic illnesses. So Mm -hmm. really, better performance is not a matter of more care, but rather better design. And to be sure, it's important to acknowledge that there are pockets of excellence all over the country. I'm sure there are listeners that are working in these places that are delivering evidence-based care and really... Uh, doing a stellar job in terms of tracking the care and measuring the care that they're doing and coordinating the care. Right. But for the most part, it, it's not systemic, and we really have a lot of quality and cost problems. So, the, the basis of the medical home is to address some of that.
1: Where did the concept come from? Did it come from the HMO concept?
0: Well, it came from the American Academy of Pediatrics in 1967. They developed this model to improve the care of children with special needs, and they really found it very effective that a child needed to have comprehensive, coordinated care. And so since then, this concept has been endorsed by DHHS. It's actually mentioned in Healthy People 2010 as as a goal. And at its core, the model embraces a holistic, coordinated, patient-centered approach with a huge emphasis on prevention. So it really came out of the pediatric movement.
1: And it sounds like a a model that in other disease states has been going for a while, like in diabetes care.
0: Yeah, the chronic care management, it builds on some of those concepts as well. And so I think, you know, in the future, you'll know a patient-centered medical home when you see one because it builds in incentives to better manage chronic illness and deliver prevention services as these measures are going to be publicly reported.
1: So that's some of how it's going to be different from a large multi-specialty practice model, such as we have so many of in Boston. Right, and the
0: four cornerstones are interoperable HIT, so that the systems will talk to one another. There will be a centralized medical record where the specialists and the primary care people uh, interact with it. The quality and safety are the hallmark, so it's going to be measure and publish quality, so that there's evidence-based decision support tools, measuring and publishing price information which is really huge that's all very opaque right now we don't really know what we're getting for a dollar and this would make that all transparent and promoting efficiency and quality of care so we have as you know a lot of redundancy in our system we have misuse overuse and underuse and so this is a way to streamline that care almost like the hub of a wheel with the specialists in the community and the mental health providers being you know the spokes but the primary Mm -hmm. care person being the the central anchor to all of it and coordinating it and actually recognizing it's really an acknowledgement and recognition on behalf of the government, the largest payer of health care, that we need to do more in care coordination. It's valuing that piece. And some of that comes from Mary Naylor, our colleague nurse practitioner, who found that when you Velcro a nurse practitioner to a frail elderly person's (laughs) hip, when they leave the hospital, they actually save a lot of money and do a lot better and don't get readmitted. So some of this stems from that research, that care transition and care coordination piece.
1: Which brings us to the opportunity for nurse practitioners and PAs within this model and, you know, what you see that role to be and how we can seize this opportunity.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, one of the things that I want to say, and some of your listeners may have different information, I don't know of any patient-centered medical homes that have nurse practitioners or PAs leading them all the demonstrations and pilots to date have included physicians, you know, at the helm in that role. So one of the things I would say is that we don't have enough primary care provider physicians to do all this. If we think about 32 million people being swept into the system, the insured system, into our healthcare system over the next decade, and plus as the aging baby boomers and the chronicity tsunami hits all at once, we don't have the workforce to do this currently in place. So I would sort of challenge that, not as a turf war, but as a practical measure, that nurse practitioners and PAs are perfectly qualified to do this care coordination role. I would think that, you know, that's first and foremost. Secondly, I think it's really important for all of us advanced practice folks to make sure that our practices are measuring what we're doing, that we are not invisible, that we're Mm -hmm. not billing Incident 2. That we are uh, measuring our preventive services, our visits, what we're doing, so that when we have a defined population, we're going to want to re- be able to report to the public what our immunization rates are, our mammography rates, etc. So we need to be measuring the quality of our care and not lumping us with other providers necessarily that we should be separated out and counted and visible in this activity.
1: Excellent advice. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm nurse practitioner Mimi Secor, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Eileen O'Grady, nurse practitioner, health policy expert, and visiting professor at Pace University. And we're discussing what advanced practice clinicians need to know about the new medical home concept of care and other aspects of the recently passed Affordable Care Act. So, Eileen, what did the early pilots tell us so far in terms of research on this new approach?
0: Well, it's been mixed, I'll say, and some of this is a chronic care model, uh, so it's not necessarily a medical home, but some of the pilots are very promising. Group Health of Puget Sound reduced their ER visits by 30%, which is significant. Ambulatory care, sensitive admissions, those are people who get admitted to the hospital for things that could have been managed if they had better primary care, things such as asthma and CHF, so there's a whole cadre of measures that look at ambulatory care-sensitive admissions. And at Puget Sound, they were reduced by 11%. Geisinger, which is a Pennsylvania-based, reduced hospital admissions by 14%, and its cost overall by 9%, which is significant. We would sit up and pay attention to those things. And MedCare of Florida showed a drop in diagnostic imaging overall, likely because of that redundancy issue, or perhaps because there's more consultation and communication between the providers. So there's less diagnostic imaging and uh, preventive cancer screening in Florida went up 13 percent and 95 percent of the diabetics in their population had hemoglobin A1Cs of less than nine percent. So the beauty in all this is being able to measure what you're doing, and then being able to make improvements.
1: And did these systems utilize electronic medical records?
0: Yes, that's really one of the linchpins of a medical home. The NCQA on their website has an application process and. They have a level one, which does not require an EHR, but it's really built in, and that seems to be the most important piece of this. And the reason is because they've done some research and found that typical primary care providers interact with over 200 other providers on a regular basis, embedded within 100 different practices. And one of the things that the developers of this want the public to know is that this is not a gatekeeping system, it's just that we're interacting, it's too complex, and it's too difficult to communicate with that many people. And this is also the medical home is a way to communicate with the community as well, the systems that are already in place. So, for example, if a child needs to be catheterized regularly several times a day at at the school, there's no system in place right now for a primary care practice to coordinate with the school nurse and the uh, equipment person and getting all of that lined up. So there will be a single point of responsibility and contact, which is not in place right now. So this is really a very disruptive innovation because currently – The more care we do, the more people get paid. It's a rather perverse incentive system. This really flips it upside down and says, actually, the more evidence base you can show that you're demonstrating and the more preventive measures and success measures you're measuring, preventable hospital admissions, the more you'll get paid. So this is really a case management fee that would be added to a medical home. And within an accountable care organization, that practice could actually reap any savings could go right back to the practice. So the incentives are completely flipped.
1: So you segued right into Eileen, my next question, which is about the financing and the reimbursement and how that differs from what was currently in place.
0: It's really a shift away from fee for service and it's looking at bundled payment. A lot of the issues in the reform bill look at bundling payment. We used to call it capitation, we have a new term now. So that we pay one fee for one episode of care. And so if there's less complications and better care, The institution stands to reap more profit. So it really shifts the power onto the delivery system, really, the responsibility onto the delivery system to deliver better care.
1: So who does that money come back to?
0: The legislation talks about developing demonstration pilots, and there's some resources to help practices launch this and it's still in the testing phase within Medicare, but they're expanding really rapidly. There's over 1,500 in place across the country right now that have been recognized by NCQA, and hundreds are queued up to begin. So most of the practices that have applied for this have less than five physicians. They're small. Most of them are in the Northeast. Some of them are community health centers. So there's support and there's resources in the legislation to help people move to this recognition and and develop these processes.
1: So this is what you mean by the train has left the station?
0: Yeah, it's already happening, and this care coordination piece, over time I believe that we're going to move away from this fee-for-service model because it's not serving patients well and providers. I mean, I think it's one of the things that makes us unhappy and unsatisfied is just the mishaps, the miscues, the the poor care, the 9-to-5 bank hours, we are way behind other industries in terms of the electronic piece, and then we still have this face-to-face appointment system. We, we don't really have a mechanism for group visits and virtual care. So this kind of opens all of that up for this disruptive innovation, really.
1: You're really talking about creating something much more consumer-friendly, really.
0: Yeah, and I think as baby boomers, you know, we want to be more empowered and want to move away from that paternalistic model, and we want, now that we have the Internet, we want care virtually, we want more email, we want electronic visits, So I see this really playing out very differently.
1: So, Eileen, how can we position ourselves as nurse practitioners, PAs, to get in on this care coordination aspect of the medical home development?
0: Well, first of all, I think we should not accept being considered ancillary to this at all and that we need to, first of all, remove any barriers to our practice. We need providers to be able to practice at the top of their license and some of the early Innovators of this model have said that that has held them back, particularly as medical homes are in across states and have these arbitrary state practice acts. So those state practice acts with 23 um, that are still in place that have not been modernized need to be updated and that we need to be the solution. There's 250,000 of us when you combine nurse practitioners and PAs that are ready, willing, and able to serve this primary care shortage. And so we should not accept an ancillary role in this. And then I think it's a hugely exciting time and that the spirit behind the medical home screens advanced practice and that we have a lot to do to overcome our invisibility and be less tolerant of perverse incentives that do not make people whole.
1: Any final thoughts, Eileen, as we sort of wrap up this very interesting discussion about the new medical home concept?
0: Well, I think that we have an obligation to the public that we can do a better job in terms of what we're doing, and they don't even know what that looks like. Everybody's so used to this for service model, that it's really our responsibility to describe what this could look like if you had somebody actually completely accountable for one single point of contact for your care.
1: Thank you, Eileen, for being on this show today, for sharing your expertise that all you have done for our nurse practitioner profession and continue to do. It's a great pleasure talking with you today.
0: My pleasure, Mimi. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to Partners in Practice on ReachMD XM160. You can download this program and any other program in our library at reachmd.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening.